Talk like we're talking. And- yeah, 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 yeah. Um, welcome, everybody. It's a Apex Vaulting podcast. This is episode 35, three in three days that I've done. So this is awesome. Uh, you guys are getting a lot of podcasts this week. Um, I, I have a special guest today, um, Coach Mike Sullivan, uh, part of the Denver Broncos coaching staff. Uh, I'm glad you're on the right team now. I was always a lifelong Broncos <laughs> fan. Sounds <laughs> good. Um, we, we were actually talking earlier um, how did you end up becoming a quarter a quarterback coach? Because I, I think that story kind of it, it could play well to to pole vault coaches thinking about opening you know your mind and thinking about a lot of different uh, skill sets and a lot of different things that you have to work on. How did you end up becoming quarterbacks coach? Well, you know, I didn't play quarterback in college. I played a, actually defensive back when I okay. played in Army, and then when I got out of the service and I got into coaching, my first job was on the offensive side of the ball, coaching receivers. But then I spent about 10 years on the defensive side of the ball. Okay. And there the intent is how do you stop the offense? How do you disrupt the quarterback? How do you create turnovers? It's sure, a completely yeah. different mindset. And then when I shifted over uh, in Jacksonville 2003, I started coaching on the offensive side of the balls with wide receivers. Okay. So then it shifts the, the dynamic again in my mind in terms of, wait a minute, you know, the perspective had been how do you're going to adjust to these formations? How do you find a way to disrupt the timing of the offense? Well, now I'm on the offense, so now I know what some of the problems that the defensive coaches right. had. And so right. we start to center our, our thoughts around how we can best find uh, chinks in the armor, so to speak, of the defense. Right. And, and, right. and, and you know, the receivers are tied very closely to the quarterbacks because they better do their job correctly if they want the ball because all receivers right. want the ball. <laughs> right, and, right. And, I mean, I look, I, I've been a lifelong football fan, so it's, I, you know, I even remember those Pittsburgh Steelers Super Bowls. Um, gosh, who was the quarterback at the time? When he threw the interceptions against the Cowboys. Uh, Terry Bradshaw? No, 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 no. In the 90s. In the 90s. Oh, uh, Neil O'Donnell. Neil yeah, O'Donnell. Yes, yes. Yeah, he threw he threw those kind of crucial picks. Yes. And it's like, yeah, if, if you cut left instead of right, it's a big no problem doubt. for a wide receiver. No doubt. And and, and I had some, some great mentors, and, and it was a great system there. Kevin Gilbride was the was the coordinator there with the Giants when I was mm-hmm. a receiver coach. And Eli Manning, of course, was the yeah. quarterback. And we spent quite a bit of time together, receivers mm-hmm. and quarterbacks. And while I wasn't as... Uh, in tune or uh, brought into the pass protection or the run game as much because right, right, right. we're doing the perimeter. Um, still work close with the quarterbacks. Well, then the quarterback position job came available yeah. there with the Giants, and I, I really wanted to do that because the quarterback position really is the focal point for everything operationally on a football right. team. I mean, right. and it's not just what you see as far as the great pass, but it's also his awareness of the pass protections, the adjustments in the run game, being able to to make adjustments and process the route concepts and all that. So it was a great opportunity for me, and I learned a great deal, and it really opened my eyes to how much more is on this guy's plate. Right. Because there were so many times you're coaching the receivers, and they're like, hey, I'm open. Why doesn't he give me the ball? Well, that's because he's (laughs) making an adjustment to the protection so he didn't get hit by a free runner. Right, right. Yeah. You know, it's it's so funny. I I feel like, you know, and again, for for those of you that maybe aren't familiar with football, I hope you're soaking some of this in, but... You know, sometimes we get so caught up in what we're doing that we don't see the bigger picture. Right. You know, like I even think a lot of times, you know, in the pole vault world, there's sometimes the coach that is only working with elite, elite athletes and they're just trying to jump 
two inches higher because that could win Olympic gold. And what they're not seeing is like, well, how do you develop from the ground up? You know, how do you work with beginners, you know, or how do you work with massive groups? Like one of the things that I've been talking about lately and, and, you know, maybe you could speak of this too from the football sense, but just like maybe that wide receiver doesn't understand why the quarterback didn't throw to him because he's not seeing the bigger picture of the whole team. A lot of people don't understand scale. And, and you know, at the club here at Apex, you know, I'm always over 100 athletes a season. And you have to, you know, it's one thing to coach one individual athlete. It's another thing to build a program that can can house over 100 athletes. And how do you get them productively through drills, teach them the skills, and then do the strength and conditioning work that will get them to the next level? You know, I think on a football team, you have to understand scale. You can't, you know, you wouldn't, like, you talking about your evolution as a coach and getting to the quarterback's position, if you never paid attention to the other side, right. like when you were coaching defense, right. if you never paid attention to what the quarterback had to do, you wouldn't be in the position you are today. You know what I mean? Right. Like you have to have that open mindset. And, and that was something that helped me when I did go to the quarterback room, whereas I didn't have the extensive background on the fundamentals, mm-hmm. the specifics of footwork, of a balance. Actually, great. Thank you. Generous Aquafina here. Fallen <laughs> Spring. Plug for sponsor. But, mm. but the thing is, that area, maybe I was a little bit I had to play some catch-up, and I mm-hmm. wasn't, like, in a vacuum. I would pay attention to the coaching points that was a receiver coach because I wanted to learn football, and I love football, and hear how he was being coached. But what I was able to bring to the table to help the quarterback was my defensive background. Right. And also, hey, this is how the receivers are seeing it. You know, this yeah. is their problem. You know, you have a, your set of problems, which are, are many. Right there's a lot on his plate, but it's not all easy in a box of chocolates for that receiver either. Now he's got to get off the line of scrimmage. He's mm-hmm. getting jammed. He's got to get to a certain depth, and and there are things that are difficult for him to do. And so I was able to kind of bridge that gap a little bit to kind of right. get a perspective. Yeah. So I think that that's interesting too. What you said is like because your your skill set working with the defense, working with the wide receivers, you can have the quarterback now think about the the bigger right, picture right. as well. And that that's so huge because you know even. Uh, uh, yesterday, I was uh, getting into a little bit of an Instagram battle with someone. We were commenting. It was friendly. It was friendly. And, and hopefully, uh, Coach Maury Sanders will now be on the podcast. I was kind of trying to get him on the podcast. He coaches down in Arkansas. He has a wonderful program. He's coached a lot of great athletes, including Andrew Irwin, who just competed at USA's. Uh, but, you know, we were going back and forth a little bit. And, and uh, But the thing is, I feel like sometimes, you know, people don't always think about every situation. Like, if you're only thinking about one group, like I said, like, if you're thinking about that top-end kid who, or top-end guy or girl who's jumping at the Olympics, you don't understand maybe everything else that goes on in, in a system, you know. And it's like, so that, that quarterback now understanding what you see and hear in a defensive meeting, you know, when you're coaching defense, you can enlighten them and be like, no, no, no. At the meetings, this is what we talk about. Right. This is how we're trying to stop you, so you got to do it this way. You know? Absolutely, because you know, you'd mentioned earlier before we got on the air talking about ultimately it's about getting over that bar. And whatever the technique is and having an open mind and doing whatever is necessary to accomplish that mission, you know, as a quarterback coach, there's certainly there's fundamentals that we have to work on. We've got to work on how do you accurately throw a ball from point A to point B. they got to be accurate. Right, right. That's the skill set. But they have a greater chance of being successful if certainly they work those fundamentals, and we do. 
Yeah. But also they have an awareness of exactly what's the defense trying to do. If I can explain right. to them and give them a perspective, that's what this coverage is. That's the reaction. This is how you can use your eyes to manipulate a defender. That's going to help you be more successful. If right. I can give a perspective about what the receiver's challenges are and how they're going to get to their certain spot. And then the more it ties in, they can play faster and they're able to have a better chance of being successful. You know, right. it's just, you know, because it's not in a in a vacuum where they're playing. I mean, there's so many right. other factors that come into play. And so just trying to find different ways, different tools to get his uh, uh, anticipation better right. so he can react faster and use the skills that he has. Right. I, I think also, you know, and this is something that I think is huge. I think, again, I, this idea of scale, you know, working with a high numbers, um, I think, you know, it's awesome. I think it's a great opportunity when you can work with just one or two really, really skillful athletes mm-hmm. in the pole vault, and I think there's some people that are in those scenarios. Um, but I think your mindset as a coach has to be very different when you work with big, big numbers. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you talk about that? Like, yeah. what is it like, you know, coaching? And you're at the NFL level, but, you know, I know you guys have an official 53-man roster, but practice squads, I mean, how many how many guys are actually involved in a team? And how many, you know, what are the numbers that you guys have to deal with? Well, you, And how do you think that impacts you? Mentally, as a coach, I mean, I'm already listening to you, and I can hear it in, in, in what you're explaining with the quarterbacks. It's like, well, whatever I have to do to get every individual to get this concept, you're talking about that already. But speak about that more, yeah. the numbers. Well, the numbers, you'll start off like right now, There's every team will take 90 players okay. to training camp. And then that 53 comes at the end of the preseason games. Yeah. So there's 90 guys. And not every one of them is going to be on the 53, obviously. Yeah. But some of them may. And then – and and – and maybe some of those that don't initially make it, an injury happens or something occurs in September, October, and you want to bring those guys back. So you're doing everything possible to to try to get the group trained. And right. probably the best perspective I can share with you, Bronco, in terms of what you're asking about is mm-hmm. as the quarterback coach, you're typically going to have maybe four guys, three guys. So it's a small group that yeah, you yeah. spend time with. I was the offensive coordinator in Tampa Bay and also with the Giants. Mm-hmm. So then you're in charge of the entire offense. Right. So it's 16 offensive linemen going to training camp. It's 13 wide receivers. It's uh, seven or eight tight ends. It's seven or eight running backs. It's the four right. quarterbacks. So they each have position coaches. But ultimately, I was the one that was scripting the plays, that was implementing and installing the offense and trying to prepare right. them. And you better find a way to see these groups, have them see each other, I should say, how they're connected. Right. How, no matter how good the offensive line does their job, if the quarterback has no ability or, or, or awareness of protections, he makes poor decisions. If the back uh, doesn't know how to read his aiming point, right, right, uh, right. If, if the receivers don't get lined up, if, if things don't work right, if it's not orchestrated, then you're going to fail. And right. it's so hard to try to, you know, everyone is so concerned with their small slice of the pie. And, right, and, they right. will, and there's there's merit and specificity. I mm-hmm. mean, it's great if yeah, I can yeah, just yeah. narrow it down to, hey, I just got this. This is my six-inch step. There's my aiming point. Here's the play. I got it. But when you have a huge group that you're responsible for, right, right, right. you obviously want to make sure that they know what to do. But 
know what to do. How, that's so easy to say. Yeah, yeah. These days with these kids, and I say kids, I know they're grown men, they're making a lot of money, <laughs> but they're still, and you, you see it here, they're, they're millennials, not to use that cliche term, but they're individual and they're into seeing it and they're going to want to know why. And right. professionals definitely want to know why. I can't just get up there and say, right. hey, we're going we're gonna to win this game because we're running this play. Right. Well, what's the intent of this particular right. play? Well, how right. is this play going to be successful? Right. What if they do this? What if they do that? What are our adjustments? And you have to explain that so that it's not uh, do it because I say, but do it because it can help us be successful. Right, right. And, and you know, it's so funny because the other, the other night I had a high school coach on and we were talking about some of his experiences being a young high school coach and things that he's noticed in track. And, you know, I think a lot of times it's, you know, people might – outside looking in, watch a professional football game and go, oh, those coaches have it easy. They're coaching pros. Everybody wants to be there. You know, they're all professionals. But it's like, no, even on that level, I mean, you're, I think what we're talking about and what I always talk about in the podcast becomes even more important at the professional level. Those, those guys do want to know why they're doing yeah. it because I know my contract is on the line. Absolutely. If I don't have a good season, like you tell me why I need to run this play, coach. Yeah. Because I need, I'm not losing out there, yeah. you know? And so it's like it becomes even more critical to get those ideas and concepts across yeah. and, and have a reason. If your response to someone is like, well, just do what I say, yeah. that doesn't fly. That's not going to win anybody over. And if they understand, like, uh, simple enough, if you put your hand on a hot plate, it's going to get burnt. Okay, therefore, I don't have to process and, and think through, okay, don't put my hand there. Right. It becomes automatic. And so right. in trying to explain all the concepts, and you talk without getting too much of the minutia of football, but you know the run game, the pass game. There's different types of schemes that you're going to want to have in the run game. There's different types of passes, and some are better suited versus certain looks than others. Right. Because offensively, the one advantage we have on the on, from a football standpoint is offensively, you are still you're starting the fire. Right. 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 Everything right. defenses, you know, they're reacting. They're reacting yeah. exactly. And so, you know, we get to initiate, and the more uh, as much as you can have these great ideas and, and boy, this would be so great and think you're a football genius, but right. if the players can't process it, if it doesn't make sense to them, right? and you have to find a way. Once in that aha moment, it's beautiful, whether it's a technique and all of a sudden, you know, he gets, oh, I got it, and you probably see it in here too. Right. I mean, I literally remember being in high school. I would sometimes, you know, doodle offensive plays in my yeah. notepad, you yeah. know, and I'd be like, man, if, if the Denver Broncos just ran this, <laughs> I know we would have won. You know, and... But it's like you said, you have to get that across to athletes. Yeah. And I even think, uh, to use a basketball example, I remember when the hot thing was the Princeton offense yeah. in basketball. Yeah. And it was very, very complicated. A lot of, a lot of picks, a lot of cutting, you know. And that's great if you have a team that's ready to take it to that level. But sometimes you have to start them off slower and you have to groom kids. What, what I wanted to ask you too is, how often, and I, I would assume you only do it in practice situations, but how often do you feel like sometimes for some athletes it's important to let them make a mistake? And that's how they, you know what I mean? Like you use the hot plate example. Oh, yeah. Some people, they have to touch it. You no could tell me, you know, yeah. Mike, don't touch that yeah. hot plate. Yeah. And I'm like, mm, yeah. I don't believe that guy, Mike. And I got to no. touch him and be like, okay, you were right. Absolutely. No, that is part of the whole process of why we practice and, and have right. so much time. They have to make those mistakes and then all of yeah. a sudden then they realize you know if i keep doing it my way then it's going to have a bad result i might not be here very long right doing that. <laughs> right and you know i think the thing is it, nor will the coach won't be there very long um but it, it's 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 trying to explain the, the the why behind something but then also 
Um, I think it's important from a coaching standpoint. I think it would apply to, to any sport, yeah, for yeah. that matter, any technique. Right. Is you can't be so uh, set in your ways right. that it's going to be. I, I, we're going to run. We're going to be a smash mouth power right. football team. We're going to di- and we're going to go drop back. Well, right. guess what? If your linemen aren't capable of executing that, if your quarterback is not capable of being under center, you better adjust. And, and right. In the NFL, they they bring the players in. They're making a lot of money. And yeah. coaches go well before those guys yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And so you've got to find a way to get the most of their – they all have skills. They all have great ability. Well, well I'll, I'll give – Find a way to yeah, do it. I'll give, I'll give you an example in pole vault. You know, I remember even early on when I was coaching, um, you know, Rampo College early on, I was I was very blessed. I had very good athletes. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like the deal was, you know, we would work on our fundamentals in preseason, you know, and get them ready for the season. And once we went to the season, I mean, everybody was back at an eight or nine left approach, mm-hmm. male or female. It was just like everybody's back there. Mm-hmm. You know, we want full approaches and we're, we're hitting it hard and we're mm-hmm. PR. And, and, and those, those kids did well with that. Well, the next couple of years... I was not so blessed. You know, I got a lot of average or even below average athletes, and that wasn't going to work. Those kids were not fast enough. Those kids were not athletic enough to just handle that kind of right. runway speed and approach. You know, they couldn't even get to that kind of runway speed and approach. So I had to make adjustment. We had to, we had to bring the approaches in shorter. You know, we had to spend a lot more time closer on the runway because I had to put those kids in a situation where they could have success. You know, and I think. Like you said, you know, it's very easy maybe like, you know, if we think about, you know, as a a football example, the Dallas Cowboys in the 90s, they could play that smash mouth football. They had that great offensive line, Emmitt Smith, you know, uh, Daryl Johnson playing fullback and they could do, you knew what they were going to run, but that you just couldn't stop them, you know, and kind of Denver Broncos with John Elway when they had Terrell Davis. I mean, they just, they were going to run it and you can't stop them, but now, if you don't have those pieces in play, right. you can't play that way. And, and everybody has limitations. I mean, certainly now in the NFL, with things have changed with the advent of the salary cap, and it's it's designed. One of the things I really enjoy about it, mm-hmm. uh, coaching the NFL, is that truly every team does have a chance. To yes. Play. Yeah. I mean, there's great parity. It's designed for everyone to finish eight and eight. Right, 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 right. Um, and so it's not like I mean there are some great, great, phenomenal coaches that might be at a small school, and you know what they 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 can coach their tails off, but they're not going to beat the Alabamas and the Georgias right. and some of those right. teams. And so that's always a challenge. But you know we have that level playing field. Everyone's going to have a limitation though. So you know time and again I can remember you know as a coordinator there'd be these great ideas that coaches would have yeah. about this pass concept. Boy, this would be great. It's going to attack this coverage. We're going to pop this wide open. Right. It's an explosive play. Okay. Well, we have this particular player at tackle. They've got Von Miller at defensive end. Okay. Yeah. He's going to have, you know, can we get this ball off in 1.5 seconds? I mean, so those are the things that right. you better adapt and you better adjust and compensate for those weaknesses and yeah. do what the players are capable of. And that's the dynamic that we go back and forth with because you want to have these great ideas. You don't want to stifle the creativity. You want to always be have an open mind and try to find a way, but still know what you have. Right. And, and like you talked about the approaches, there may be players that, 
you know, they can still they, they have another skill. They're going right. to bring something to the table. Right. It's our job as a coach to not be so set in a certain way or technique or play or whatever the case may be, and be married to that and you know and keep banging our head against the wall. Right. Right. Find a way to help that player be successful for that. Walter. Right, yeah. And, I mean, look, you know, I know even in, in the pole vault, regardless of the technique that, that you use, you know, there are certain kids that are going to have strengths and weaknesses, you know. Uh, you know, And I actually made a big philosophical shift in my coaching style in 2012. And I'll tell you, regardless of what I did prior to 2012, where it was more, you know, get your hands up, you know, really try to open up your chest, or now where we kind of like – just jump and try to move on the pole real fast and pull. There, there are kids back then, and there are kids now that they have a knack on one side or the other, and you have to try to work with with that knack that the kid has, you know, and work them through your system. I mean, even it, it was funny, uh, you know, you guys had your younger daughter come in, mm-hmm. and she, she had an issue because she's coming from gymnastics, so she's used to jumping off at two feet, and I had to kind of on the fly figure out how to fix that in that practice session. And what's interesting for me is like, you know, if, if you're really, really stubborn as a coach and you know, I, I could have just walked up to you guys. I can't work with her. She can't do this. But instead I figured out a solution, which interestingly enough, I I had a girl that was a freshman this year, uh, from Hawthorne Christian grace who jumped nine, six, but she has the same issue as hope. So it's like that. I actually took the same drill. I literally used it the next day with her, and it's it's made all the difference oh, wow. in the world in her practice too. So it's like the thing is, is like I think it's very easy as a coach. Like imagine as a football coach, you go, well, I you know, listen, I can't work with the running back in this offense unless he can catch the ball. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't have a running back on the team that can catch the yeah. ball really well. So what are you going to do now? Right. You know, it's like you you better adjust, or like you said. The coach may lose their job. Yeah, yeah. The the athletes are going to lose their job. You know, it's like no, you gotta you gotta play with the chess pieces that you have. Because I've seen that over the years. You know, regardless of professional sport, it's like coaches will come into a team and it's almost like they have to change the, all the personnel mm-hmm. to kind of make their offense right. or defense work. And you can't always do that. Right. You know, you no, got to work with what you have. You have to, yeah, absolutely. And and that's that can be a, a challenge. But I think it it really comes down to a sense of of what is most important is it winning or is it having it be done my way my comfort level right you know i I, you know have been blessed and it's not been easy but Mm -hmm. been blessed that i've been in three different offensive systems Mm -hmm. the kevin gilbride system that had won two super bowls with the giants Mm -hmm. and then i kind of took a lot of that and tried Mm -hmm. to do it down in tampa bay Mm -hmm. and you know you learn right quickly that that not everything you don't have the same players so you right, have to right. kind of adjust and pick and choose yeah, yeah. essentially the same and then a different more of a traditional west coast offense with ben mcadoo these past few years okay. with the giants and now it's something completely different um with denver with yeah, the musgrave yeah. as a coordinator and there's carryover there's similar concepts but the language the terminology and and it's it's energizing in a lot of ways you can yeah. you can look at it you know if someone who's been in the same system year after year after year after year, yeah, they evolve, they adjust, they quarter turn adjust, they tweak it, yeah. but they, that's what they know. How much are they really growing? You know what I mean? Right. They, 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 know, they, they know their car and they can drive that car, but maybe they do have what we were just talking about. Maybe they have some players that can't do that. 
you're not always going to have the latitude to change players in and out or get it how you right, want it. Right, right. And, and so, I mean, you know, and I've, I've even seen that over the years professionally where, look, there are certain coaches, it's like players come and go, mm-hmm. and their, their system evolves to yes. work with the players that they have, and they continue to have yeah. success. But you've seen systems where it's like you take one or two players out of the system – they can't yeah. it yeah. doesn't work anymore right. you know and so it's like you have to be able to continue to evolve because i think the thing in the pole vault and this is what i think is so important w- with the pole vault and i hope people are really listening and, and trying to apply this to what they're doing pole vault wise you know yes what you did for johnny when you were coaching him may work mm-hmm. but what happens when johnny graduates high school or graduates mm-hmm. college or he retires right. can you coach the next yeah. kid yeah. Are you going to be able to adjust? Like I like I said, when when Hope came in to practice, I had to adjust on the fly mm-hmm. there and try to figure something out to, to have her become yeah. successful. Because in my in my realm, like you said, it all depends on what your goal is. Right. Like you said, I could be very selfish yeah. and say this is my way. We yeah. do it like this, yeah. or I can say I want every individual that comes into this building to feel successful, yeah. to to get a PR, yeah. to win. Yeah. So I got to do whatever it yeah. takes for that kid, yeah. you know, and that's the attitude that I think really takes coaches to the next level, you know. And, and the my way part you're saying is not like people that would say that are don't have experience or don't have credibility. Right. People, there's that that quote unquote my way. There is a lot of success, and that's tried and true. And you know, there's some validity to that to a sure, degree. Sure. But at the end of the day, if it's ultimately about the the goal of being the, reaching the full potential yeah, whatever success, that is yeah. the success um, then you better find a way to reach Johnny or Janie or whomever and and who that's who you have and you can't be so ingrained and so so married to a certain yeah. technique or a yeah. fundamental or in in the football uh, vernacular a, a scheme or a concept right you know it's been there's there's again without getting too much jargon but I, 16 years now. There are some things we're doing offensively in Denver that were new to me. Right. That I had seen on TV. I had a sense of it. I'd seen uh, right, certainly right, right. on game film. But, you know, it's kind of the buzzword, the RPO, the run-pass option. It's kind of right, really right, right. something that came into play more so in college ball. And right. what we're finding is that the quarterbacks that are coming out of the college game, the offensive linemen that are coming out of the college game, right. the game is, is different. Right. And so it's not like it was 15 or 20 years ago. Right. And so you, 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 some of the things that made sense 15, 20 years ago, the product that you're getting, the players that you're getting are, draft, different. Yeah. are different. And I'm not talking about their mentality or that they're more yeah. on the Internet or Instagram. Right, right, right. I'm talking about how they're being trained, right, right, the scheme, right. their, their, their muscle development, their strength and conditioning program, and what they've been practicing doing. There aren't a lot of teams that are running power football or right. doing straight drop back. Some are, yeah. but the, the bottom line is you're getting some very talented players that don't necessarily have a background of traditional NFL football. You talked about mm-hmm. the Cowboys of the 90s. Right, right, so right. Speak. So it's like you have to put those kids in a position where they can be successful. find a way. And, you know, obviously a, a good friend of mine, Sean Ryan, heck of a coach, uh, is uh, down in Houston mm-hmm. um, with the Texans, and they had Deshaun Watson who mm-hmm. came on board. Yes, and, yeah. and he started to just hit like gangbusters, unfortunately got hurt for them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they were doing some things that 
played to his strengths. Some right. of the things that were similar to what he did at Clemson. Right. Uh, obviously, they had things that they feel strongly about in their program that they want to do as far as their offense, but they incorporated enough concepts and right. some things that right. enabled him to be successful, and they played to his strengths. And so, you know, it's been energizing for me because there are things that, you know, quarterback A can do better than quarterback B. And yeah. you, you can fill in the name. I don't want to say any names, yeah, but yeah. that's just – and. One's not necessarily better than the other, but if you have quarterback B, you better not be trying to force feed what right. quarterback A does. Right, right. No, a, a, exactly. You know, I mean, in the pole world, you you have some kids that you know they're super, super efficient, and maybe they're not going to get on the biggest, biggest poles. You know, mm-hmm. so you got to figure out how to get that kid successful. Then you have other kids. You know, I like I have one kid in particular I'm thinking of in my head, like really, really big guy, but he's a little bit slow and lumbering, and. It, He's going to get on big poles, and he's just not going to be super efficient, you know. But So you had to put him in the best position to succeed. And you, you have to be able to adjust your coaching to fit that athlete. Um, I think sometimes when you just get caught up in one way, well, now you limit how many athletes you could work right. with. Right. You know, it's like right. you want to be able to work with everyone. Like I, I know, uh, you know, one of the things that was kind of popular, an idea that people were throwing around in the pole vault was like, oh, you should only train the best athlete in the pole vault. Well, you don't really have a sport then. Like everybody has to be able to play this game, you know. And I think with football, like obviously, like you're at the professional level, you you guys are dealing with with high end athletes. But to grow the sport, I mean. The NFL wants everyone playing football. No, no, <laughs> you know, they absolutely. love the flag football leagues. They they have yeah. the play sixty program, no you know, for kids. And, and even you mentioned earlier, Bronco, as far as the fifty three man roster, how what you start with. I don't care if you go to the Super Bowl or if you goes really bad and 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 you, you don't win a game or, or yeah, one yeah. or two. That roster is different at the end of the year because of injuries, because mm-hmm. of things that happen, and you've got to develop those younger players, those guys who are practice squad or maybe because well, they could be your starters. Well, right, and and you're bringing up a good point. Yeah, that that guy that maybe was like a first round draft pick and runs a four three forty and you know super talented. If he gets hurt, you might have to deal with the guy that Absolutely. runs a four nine forty, and you know it is what it is. You the, know the injuries are going to happen. There may be some you know uh, who knows off-the-field issues, anything that can right. occur, that that roster changes. And there are people that are on your team that you've got to spend time, the younger players, developing. And and, and that's certainly as much as you can in season, but definitely through training camp, through the spring, through the, that time that we have to try to get those guys ready. But I did want to ask you something. Sure, Because sure. we talked about earlier the, the, the environment being a little more static. Right, right. And then the mental side of it. Right, More... Yeah. Not to, I'm not talking the, the technique because I'm sure through training and muscle memory and mm-hmm. you probably have those aha moments where yeah, yeah. he knows or she knows if he takes hit the it right footwork and, yeah. right or the grips are right. Mm-hmm. And, and Carmen does bust my chops, by the way. When I say, hey, you a grip, back to She says, Dad, you don't know what you're talking about sticking football. Um, but, so they have that down. But how do you, from a mental standpoint, what are some of the things that have helped your athletes Overcome the adversity, the setback, handle pressure. Because the reason right. that yeah, in yeah. football, it's 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 a you know, it's four quarters. There's a right. you know, 65, 75 right. plays. They can have a bad play, and then maybe they get knocked around, and they go. But you, you got three attempts. Right, right. And so I mean, I think there's there's a couple things, and and I'll use a football example first. I, I remember you know watching stuff about you know John Elway when he was a quarterback, and how they talked about. How good they were as a second half team because mm-hmm. they would they would make those adjustments yes. at halftime and and 
the game would change. And I think, you know, and outside looking in, I have no idea what was discussed in meeting rooms or anything like that. But I think I try to always tell my, tell my athletes that failure is okay. Failure is okay. You got to be willing to, to have failure because if you can deal with failure, then you're going to have a lot of success. Because I think the problem comes from athletes who, who don't want to fail. They're kind of like perfectionists. I mean, you know, I'll use an example like Tom Brady. Tom Brady was not a high draft pick. You know, he was a backup when he was in Michigan. And, I mean, oh, my God, goodness, when you watch those combine videos and Tom Brady oh, yeah. moving, I mean, you're like, how did this guy even play in the NFL, you know? And now he's a stud. But here's the thing. Tom was on the bottom. And he had to do whatever it took, and he was had to be willing to try anything yes. to get to where he is yes. today. Well, and and I feel like that's a little bit my story, right? Like you know, we were talking about in the beginning. You know, I, I I was an immigrant. You know, I came here when I was a little, little baby. You know, I and my parents didn't know anything about track and stuff like that, and I wasn't that good in high school. So it's like when I got the opportunity to coach. I looked everywhere and anywhere for information. I mean, I, I literally, I would go to Kinko's. I would print out all this stuff from the internet and make my own books. And I would, like, go home and read stuff. And I didn't care. Like, for me, there was no, like, this is how we do it. Yeah. To me, I'm like, I listen, if this is how we do it, it's not good enough. So we got to figure something <laughs> out. So I think if you're willing to fail, you know, and you, put, you make your kids feel comfortable, I think that's where you get really mentally tough kids. Because... I even had a situation, and um, I don't know if I talked about this in the podcast, but I've definitely been talking about this the last couple of days. I had one year where I had the number one girl in the state, you know, she had the number one mark, and I had another girl that was good, but she was kind of going through a rough season. I couldn't be at both meets. And I tell people all the time, I don't just follow my best kid. I go where I'm needed most. So I knew, like, my top-ranked girl, she didn't really need me. So I sent other coaches to that meet, and I went to this other girl that was struggling. And the one thing that I always told that girl when she was struggling, I said, listen, if you know height, I'm going to be here. I'm still going to coach you. And if you PR, I'm going to be here. I'm going to coach you. So I just want you to feel comfortable and safe to let anything happen. And it was funny. On a last attempt that day, she jumped 12 feet and won the state group wow. title. You know, And so it's, I, I think whenever you, you foster an environment where you allow people to make mistakes mm-hmm. – you know, that I think allows them to be mentally stronger. That's one of the things that I'm really big on. And I feel like, you know, and and you tell me how you feel about this, but I'm a big believer in if your practices and your training sessions are competitive and you're working hard during those training sessions. And, and, you know, I always push competitive competition at my practices, you know, well, now when you go to the meet, it's not that big of a deal. Because you're used to competing. Yes. But I think sometimes what happens is, like, you know, you get that high, you know, first round draft pick who's number one on his team in high school football, was Heisman Trophy winner. They get to the NFL level, they're not used to losing. Yeah. They're not used to failure. And now, you know, you put them in a situation because they're going to see it. There's going to be a struggle at some point. Nobody goes undefeated their right. whole, right. whole career. And I think even in pole vault, you know, it's like, you get that kid that has never faced adversity, you know, that's where they, they get caught. And I, I see it all the time because I've, I've had it on both ends. I've had the kid that's been on top and I've had the kids who are coming from behind. And I think when you're the underdog, it's real easy. Yeah. You know, you're chasing. It's a lot easier to chase. But when you have that top spot, it's a lot tougher. I mean, we, we had a situation where, um, you know, I had the girl that 
broke the international record at the time. It's, it's recently been, been broken. But she jumped 13-9 and three quarters in Division Three. It was a Division Three record, and she was ranked 92nd in the world that year. And so we're going into Division Three nationals. She is the best in the country by eight inches. Oh, wow. So, I mean, she should win easily, right? And so at Division Three nationals, at a certain point, it starts to go up two inches at a time, you know? So... You don't want to jump every bar. Like right. we're there to win, right. so you can't waste energy jumping right. every bar. She so she, yeah. So she, we opened at twelve seven. Okay. She cleared that. She blew through on her first attempt. You know the pole was too small, so we went up a pole. She cleared on her second, and then we passed to thirteen one. This was our normal progression. Like okay. this is what we would always do, okay. right? By the time we get to thirteen one, or no, I'm sorry, it was thirteen three. Okay, there was no one left. Two girls had cleared twelve eleven. They didn't make 13-1 so now she was the only one left at 13-3 okay. and it was so funny we're at the division three national meet i mean i can't just imagine i don't even know if you can make an analogy in football but this would never happen in football we're at the division three nationals the weight throw was done and the women's long jump or triple jump was done and there were no track events going on yet so the place was empty Oh my God! Yes, the place is <laughs> so it's like you don't even have that like oh we're at a competition this is pumped <laughs> up right and so Keep in mind, two girls had jumped 12-11, yes. and we only jumped 12-7, and we just passed the 13-3, our normal mm. progression. So she's not winning right now, you know? <laughs> she comes down for her first attempt at 13-3, and she gets stood up. She doesn't swing. She comes off the mats, and her eyes are like, oh, my God, what's happening? Like, fix it, you know? And, you know, it was so funny. Now, and I want to talk about numbers after I finish this story, but... You know, I, I saw her mid-mark, I catch mid-marks, you know, and I watched the approach, and I, I could tell she was, she was tight, you know. Now, I will be honest, I was shitting my pants a little bit in that <laughs> moment, too, but I didn't let her see that, you know. And so I'm like, no, you're fine, that was great, you were just a little bit tight, go back a half, you're going to be okay. And she's like, oh, okay, but like, you could tell, because, again, when you're the underdog and you're chasing, that's fun. Even if you don't, yeah. if you, even if you don't catch it, ah. Yeah. But when you're supposed to win... Yeah. You have that pressure, you know, that anticipation. Everybody is expecting to see you yeah. win, and you're the national record holder. You shouldn't lose to anybody, and especially like I already said, she was she was ahead by eight inches. Yeah. You know, comes down second attempt, and she cleared. You could literally see all the energy exhaust her. We tried like one more bar, but she didn't get it yeah, um, because she was done. Yeah. But like you know, but she cleared that, and whew, you know, wow. satisfied. She won the national title. But, you know, you have situations like that. I mean, I, th I think about, you know, when the Giants beat the Patriots in that undefeated season. You know, they go undefeated and they lose the Super Bowl to the Giants. I mean, like, there's a lot of pressure on the Patriots yeah. on that game. Because yeah. it's like, you, like, if you win, fine, you did what you were supposed yeah. to do. Yeah. If you lose, yeah. huge failure. Yeah. Huge failure, which, I mean, again, uh, you know, credit to, to that, that program, the New England Patriots, because they were able to come back and, and win after that, yes. that failure. Because a lot of people are crushed by failures yes. like that, you know. So I think, you know, talking about mentality, it's like I just always try to explain to people, like, failure is okay. I mean, we're all, you know, unless something happens crazy, but... You know, life is a long time. Mm -hmm. You're going to experience failures. Yeah. I, I don't care if you if you haven't experienced failure to this point in your life. I pr I promise you, there will be some failure along the way. Maybe a girl rejects you. You know, whatever <laughs> it is. But you're going to feel something, and you have to be able to bounce back yeah. from that. You know, and that that bounce back ability is huge because I know even for me, like I was saying, early in my coaching career at Ramapo, you know, 
we had very talented athletes come in. And I told you the way I, I kind of did my program. We did our skill work, and then season started. We're all the way back there, and we're banging from long runs. Now I don't have that. Well, I have to make yeah. adjustments. And and here's here's the thing. If I can't accept someone no hiding, or if I can't accept you know someone not being able to run a long approach, I'm going to be a pretty miserable guy. Yeah. I, I better learn to deal yeah. real fast. Yeah. And I could imagine, you know, you could speak to this, but if you, you're coaching on an NFL team that, you know, let's say is in rebuilding year. Mm-hmm. You know, you lost your starting quarterback, maybe some of your linemen, you know. There's going to be some lumps that year. Mm-hmm. And if, if you as a coach are just, you know, getting so frustrated and unreasonably upset mm-hmm. at athletes who are making the normal mistakes. And yeah. I'm sure you could speak to this, yeah. like what are normal mistakes, right. learning curve, process, you know, versus this guy's just not right. doing what he's supposed to be doing. You know, it's like you have to learn the, you have to learn to accept that and help people get through those that, that learning curve and that early evolution of an athlete, you know? No doubt. Um, so, I mean, I, I mean, okay. this, no, yeah, it, does, with, no, it, was, it was interesting because you, you, there's only, like you said, those three attempts per Right, Mark, per right. bar, yeah, per bar, uh, and and there is no defender coming to hit you. Yeah, There's yeah, no yeah. adjustments, and it just it seems like that gives a pole vaulter an awful lot of time to think. Right, and, yeah, yeah. And one thing, it's kind of like a field goal kicker, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Whereas with football, it's kind of nice. The more we can just you know train over and over and over. And make the practices difficult, so right. that the game seems. You know, we'll go out of our way yeah. to make the practice more challenging and more, right. more thrown to the wind, and the more the more difficult you can make the practice. And I think it would probably would apply. Yeah, like you talk about being competitive in here. Right, the, the more you can make the game seem like, oh, hey, it's just like practice. It's easier. Yeah, you know that's and and because when setbacks, a fumble. Uh, a dropped pass, a quarterback sack, you know, a penalty, some of those things, bad things yeah. that happen to the game. When that happens, you know, you've experienced it in practice and you work through it. Right. So it, it, there's some carryover there. But I just, it's, it's such a, a different animal because it's a longer event yeah. and there's more plays. And, you know, I just wanted to get your perspective on just that mental. And it's interesting you're talking about really from my take from that yeah. is, is trying to eliminate the fear. Eliminate right. the fear of the failure. Eliminate yeah. the fear of oh hey, uh, you know Bronco's not going to come watch me if I if I do bad today. Right, or right. He's only going to watch me if I do well. Yeah. And just you've you've trained, you've prepared. Yeah. Go out and turn it loose, and that's yeah. that's I think a lot of coaches, in regards to the sport, would love to have their athletes have that mindset where right. you know they're able to go out and and take all of that. Apprehension and anxiety and fear, and everyone has it. Yeah, you yeah, don't yeah. have nerves before an event. I don't right. care what it is. Then yeah. you need to stop. Right. Um, yeah. 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 But set that to the side. Drop it like a rucksack, and yeah. then go compete. Well, yeah. And so I think that that's definitely the, the mentality you have to have because I, I also, you know, I love to look at failures or setbacks as as learning experiences too. Mm-hmm. The problem that I think a lot of people have is like, well. You have a failure, you just want to erase it and not think about it. Mm-hmm. No, you have to be able to dissect it. I mean, I'm sure, like, you know, right. the Monday or Tuesday yeah. after the game, it's like, you guys have to go into the yeah. meeting room and watch that video right. of, like, okay, this yeah. happened. Yes. What, what, what happened? Yes. You know, how can we prevent this? Yes. You know, and so I think that's important. If you just try to erase a bad day and be like, let's not think about that. Mm-hmm. Well, now you're losing an opportunity to learn. Because I think a lot of times, too, here's the thing. A lot of times when you have a success, what are you learning from the success? Yeah. 
Good job. That's it. Yeah. So, so if you're not learning from failure and you're not learning from success, you're not learning. You're not evolving. And you, you have to have that mentality. Yeah, you're right. And I think success can sometimes mask or camouflage mm-hmm. ills that are going to show up right. later on. Right. Um, that's one thing I think is interesting that would, I think, apply to all sports. And yeah. We, we try to do it from a coaching standpoint in football is you mentioned after the game is over and it's a loss and it's a poor performance. Obviously, you have to look at the film and you identify what went wrong. Okay, mm-hmm. that's easy. Okay, yeah. why did it go wrong? Right. Was it because the player wasn't capable? Was it because the player was, you know, just physically wasn't able to do it? Was he just uh, uh, one that just, he, he did it right in practice, he understood it, but then he just has a mental bus, all right? Or was it a lack of effort? Uh, mm-hmm. Or did we as coaches not prepare them? Was there something that happened that they right. didn't expect? How did we put someone in a position that they shouldn't have been in? So I think when you talk about taking a look, I think it's important for coaches not just to analyze why the athlete or the unit or the team didn't right. do well. What from a self analysis standpoint, what could you have done? Differently? Right, right. And I'll give a football example, and then we'll use a pole vault one. But you know, it's like kind of like if you have a rookie left tackle and he's got to defend Von Miller. Yeah. You know, you're putting that guy in a tough spot. Yeah, you know, maybe, maybe that that maybe that that kid, you know, did the best he could in that situation to try to defend Von Miller, but he's not going to have a lot of success. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and so, same thing in pole vault. You know, is this kid maybe just you know not athletic enough? Mm-hmm. They're not fast enough to maybe you know maybe you have a high school girl that's not fast enough to jump 12 feet yet. You know what I mean? She's, she's really tiny. You know, she's not super fast. She's just learning the event. Well, she's not going to jump 12 feet then. You can't have that expectation. I can't flip out on that girl no. now. You know, kind of like, it, it, you know, it's funny because I, you know, I remember talking to you. I remember talking to Julie, your wife, uh, uh, about Carmen's this season. And I remember one time, you know, I almost felt like Julie was maybe a little bit like, oh, I wish Carmen would have jumped higher. And I said, no, listen, she's actually making a lot of progress now, you know, because I remember I was a little bit tough on Carmen <laughs> earlier in, in, in her tenure here at Apex. And I was like, no, now she's doing the things she yeah. needs to do. It's just we got to be patient now and let this blossom. Like this was, this was a good step forward, you know. So it's like you have to assess, is the kid athletic enough to do what you yes. want them to do? You know, or, you know, did you maybe put them in a bad situation? You know what I mean? Maybe like I tried a longer approach and it didn't work. Like I had an athlete this season who came back from injury and he wanted to try a longer approach. And I tend to let my athletes make a little bit of choices, especially if they're older. He was a senior. So I let him try the longer approach and he struggled that day. And afterwards we talked about it. It was like, you know, we tried. Mm-hmm. You wanted to put your hand in the cookie jar, and you got burned. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you you went to a longer approach. You just weren't ready for it, and and that's okay. We uh-huh. we made made that choice, and we tried, and whatever. It was the, the last meet for you. Yeah. You know, so it's like so maybe we didn't put the kid in in the right position, you know, or the right situation, or did the kid make a mistake? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because that that's possible too. I want this to keep going off. Yeah, no, no worries. But, you know, so it's like I think the same thing, like the way you just explained the the meeting room, it's like, yeah, like, you know, were we just outmatched today? You know, Uh, did we do the wrong scheme or, you know, yes, it's possible the athlete maybe made a mistake, you know, and so then we we have to we have to talk about that. And even if the athlete did make a mistake, we have to discuss, okay, what could we do differently in practices so that kid doesn't make that mistake? Right. You know, was there maybe a concept that we couldn't get the kid to understand whether it was the pole carry, whether it was the runway, whether it was the takeoff, something off the ground? You know, so it's like now it, it, 
I, for me, and this is how I feel personally, and I, I feel like everybody should feel this way. It's like I'm always looking at myself. What could I do differently yeah. to help that athlete? Because even if that athlete did make a mistake, it's my job to try to help that athlete not make a mistake. Right. I can't just like pin it on the kid and be like, who cares, and then move on. I, I'm, I'm always trying to solve that puzzle. You know what I mean? And I, and I think that that's, that's super, super important for a coach. You know, you don't want to just, ah, it was their mistake and yell at them. I mean, that's fine, but are you going to win the next game doing that? You know, you, you have to figure out a solution. And it's also, like you touched on, just what type of commitment level is there by the, by the athlete, right? Yeah. Because are they trying, and trying is such a broad term, but that is what they're doing away from the facility, what they're doing in their free time, what they're putting in their body, what type of effort they're giving in practice. Right. How much of it, you know, are they truly giving it everything that they yeah. can? Yeah. And then, you know, you that's as a baseline because right, right, right. I think regardless of the sport, certainly, you know, even in, in professional football, you get those those players that just by their behavior, by mm-hmm. actions right. off the field and, and by things when, you know, the, the one kind of cardinal sin that you, you, know, you see certainly in the football world is, is the lack of effort. You know, when yeah. someone is just not trying because either they're frustrated or they're uh, upset or whatever the case may be, yeah, that yeah. lack of effort is the one where, hey, all bets are off and that's yeah, where yeah. you got to get you know, well, it kind of it kind of goes back to fear of failure because you know a lot of times athletes who are not trying hard, it's kind of a defense mechanism, right? right? I mean, yeah. I've heard of stories. I remember one of my girls; she was a senior in high school, and she was really like having a blow up senior year. And this girl that used to beat her in years prior was in the warm up line and tapped her on the shoulder and said, "Hey, um, I just want to let you know, uh, I'm not really trying." <laughs> I, I told my girl, like, you should have turned around and be like, no, it's okay. You can try. You're still not going to win. But, but you know, it's like that's a defense mechanism. A lot of times, like, you know, if I feel like I'm not going to have success, I don't want it to be on me. So I'm just not going to try hard. Right. I, you know, I mean, that's and that's tough. And that's why it's like it's always like you're trying to eliminate that fear of mm-hmm. failure. Um, but some people are just not going to make it, you know, and, that, and that, that's the reality of it, too. Um, just, you know, I don't know how much more time you have, so I just want to touch upon this subject, too. You know, football, obviously, like, you have schemes, and you're drawing up plays, and there's technique, and this and that. How important are numbers? Like, before you talked about it, it's like, okay, well, this play looks great, but are we going to get the ball off in 1.5 yes. seconds? You know, how important are numbers? How often do you guys look at numbers? How does that affect the way you guys coach? When you, numbers for us would be more predicated on it kind of segues into statistics or like right, right, about right. analytics has been right. the big buzzword that's mm-hmm. going on. And, and we try not to get bogged down in too much of those try because you can really dissect it. And, and every, every NFL right, right, team right. has someone that does the analytics that, that has all the exact percentages and, and, mm-hmm. and, and the statistical analysis of efficiency on first down, right, right, uh, right. third down efficiency, where you're at the red zone. Right. Um, you know, the biggest thing we do look at numbers from the standpoint of having goals for a certain, for any particular game. Right. Whereby we'd say, you know, we want to make sure we're going to have one or less pre snap penalty. Right. That's a goal to have right. one or less. And pre snap penalty, you know, when the, between the whistles, you know, sometimes, you know, you want to try to coach technique. Maybe there's a combative penalty, yeah. something happens. Okay. You know, that, that sometimes is a, a judgment call by the official. 
you know, yeah. you can overcome that. But it's the pre-snap penalties. In other words, someone that false starts, yeah, yeah, or yeah. they jump off sides, or right. they lose their poise and they get a penalty after the whistle, yeah, or illegal motion, illegal or motion. Yeah, Those yeah, are yeah. things that we have control over. It's a hard enough game, so yeah. we say, okay, maybe one happens. You don't want any, but it's one or less as far as that goes. Right. Um, looking at like on first down, um, you know, we want to get at least four yards on the, on on a play. Yeah. You know, four yards. It you know. Love to get more. Love to get eighty. But, yeah. You know, to if you can get four yards on first down, then that makes second and six. Yeah. If you get four, and you're trying to, get into, trying to get getting a third down, that's manageable. You know, right. because third and four to six, third and three, there's a lot more weapons at your disposal, a lot more things you can do that don't ask as much of your protection to block Von Miller. You can yeah, get the ball yeah. out faster right, right. than third and ten, which really stinks. Right. Right. So you know, we do look at numbers from the standpoint of 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 Efficiency, where mm-hmm. we want to be at all the situations from a down and distance standpoint, uh, scoring certainly, mm-hmm. um, and then we'll also look at numbers. And this, I'm not sure if this is quite the same yeah, yeah. area which you, what you were talking about, but certainly uh, numbers come into play in terms of how we call plays, you know, yeah, the yeah, terminology yeah. of that, and then there's numbers, of, you know, whether it's a 16 power or yeah, 29 yeah. Uh, truck or whatever the play yeah, may yeah. be. But then also numbers are a big part in terms of landmarks, all right? right? Landmarks. We talk about, hey, you have to get to this certain depth of field. Is It might seem like it's kind of uh, hard to read, but the hash marks are at a certain depth yeah, yeah, and yeah. numbers are at a certain depth. And, right. And from the sideline and 53 and a third yards, and we know we want to you know, try to stretch that and, and right, have right, our right. distribution both to put stress on the defense both vertically as well as horizontally. Right. And so we'll use numbers from the standpoint of getting to, hey, your, your delta route's got to be 15 to 18 yards and you're trying to get in the alley. Coach, what's the alley? Well, the alley is exactly halfway between the hash mark and the inside edge of the numbers. Right, right, right. 14 yards from the sideline, all right, nine yards apart, five, you know, so I'm not trying to make yeah, this yeah. math class no, on no, your no, podcast. No. But no. when you were talking numbers, it, it kind of oh, it was like overload for me because there's certainly there's numbers as far as our analytics and our statistics. Right, right, and right. And what's efficient. Yeah. And then certainly timing yeah, of right. how think, long yeah. you can have. You know, we don't want to be ha- you know how deep you set the pocket quarterback. If we said if we tag deep, meaning that the routes are going to be further down the field, so you're going to take more steps. Your drop is going to right. be deeper. We still never want that plant foot to be deeper than nine and a half yards because right. that's the pocket. And right. if you go farther back than that, those tackles, that rookie left tackles fighting is yeah. you know, off, you're going to hit in the back of the head. Right, and so. Um, we definitely are very cognizant of of benchmarks or statistical goals as far as right. yards we'd want or efficiency we want. Certainly, time right? yeah. in terms of you know how many steps you know uh, the timing of okay if the quarterback is taking three step footwork one two three that ball's out then there's that's got to correspond. Right. Right. We can't be having a route that's fifteen. Right, it can't be a longer route. So there's a lot of synchronicity that that comes into play as far as that. Um, And then obviously the the (laughs) the most important number of them all is what's on our scoreboard and having a lot of ideally something that starts with a three or a four and has an eight or a nine after it is, is is. Yeah, I mean, and because I think sometimes in the pole vault, and you know, I think technical sports where you know it's very static. You know, like we said. I think we get caught up in almost the art, and we're like, oh, man, this is a beautiful mm. position. We want to be in this. Mm. But it's like, it's a movement. you got to clear a bar. Like, let's talk numbers. You yeah. know, what's the speed that yeah. we need? What's the yeah. grip? What's the pull? Yeah. How are we going to, you know, get the kids to push off the top of their grip? And 
if you can track those numbers, it helps you make decisions, yeah. I believe. Oh, yeah. Like, if you guys know going into the the game, like, hey, listen, we're going to have a tough time with this defense. Their, their defensive line is really, really tough. We're not going to have the maybe two seconds we're accustomed to to drop back. Like, it's got to be quicker. It adjusts your game plan, you know. And so, same thing when you're coaching pole bowl, you know. Or, like, you made me think about something. You said that there could be a, a running play that – uh, a couple coaches of the staff, well, we really believe it. We had great success. We were with whatever team in the past, and this is a great run. It's the one-back power play. This is tremendous. I love it. And we, you know, okay, well, let's look at the stats. We've called this thing 10 times, and we've got a total of 20 yards. We're averaging <laughs> two yards in a 10. Right, right. You can take that one-back power play and, you know, it, that's mm-hmm. so we definitely can gauge yeah. the f- efficiency of things right. because you know nothing like having you in your world. Hey, that bar it doesn't matter. They clear the bar, or they don't. Right, and it's not right. about oh I like this technique. Hey, because it doesn't matter. whatever the technique. If you get over the dang bar, you win. And it's yeah, yeah. With us, if I get the first down, if we get the first down, if we get the touchdown, if if we're calling something consistently on third and five, and man. It's popping open. It doesn't matter what the coverages are. It doesn't matter what the pass rush is. I'm able to get the ball. Boy, this thing, we've called it ten times, and nine times we've been successful. We've moved yeah. the change. But guess what? Call it more. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? well, 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 right. And, I, and, you know, it's so funny, but it's like, you know, people have, like, confirmation bias. Yeah. You know, it's like if I'm running late to work, yeah. you know, and I catch a red light, I'm like, ah, oh, man, every time I'm running late yeah. to work, yeah. I, I hit a red light. Well, not really. If we look at the statistics, yeah, it's probably yeah, 50-50, yeah. but you only remember the red lights because right, you get right, in trouble. Right. But it's like, you know, same thing. I think even in Pobol, I, I made a post on Instagram where I was like, don't um, – what one successful jump, you know, one jump can't make up for an 80% failure rate. You know, so like you're talking about that right. one play. It's like everybody's like, oh, we love this play. Yeah. But it's like, guys – 80% of the time we're yeah. failing. Oh, we're yeah. not getting what we want well, that's play. Or the memory of, oh, yeah, if we ran that one play, and it was a 70-yard gasher, and it was on Sports Center. Right. But then it got stuffed the other 10 times. Right. So and you can't marry yourself. Right. It goes back to that stubbornness. Yeah. And that security blanket of, uh, you know, whether it is a technique, whether it is a scheme or a concept. I think any time a coach gets so locked into it has to be this way and, and blinded, you know, yeah. refusing to. I don't want. I don't want to look at the data. I don't look at the data. This works. This works. This works. Well, yeah. Then you well, end up- well, and and sometimes like I get it because the the longer I'm coaching, the more I I think about psychology. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know what can happen? You ran a play, and that that won the Super Bowl that year for you. So now you're like, that's our play. That was our Super Bowl winning play. And in that moment, yeah, that was right. But like you said, if you run it 20 more times and you don't get anything from it. Forget about it. Yeah. But, what it yeah. but also, look at all the other things that helped you win the Super Bowl. It right. wasn't just that Right, play. right. But, we, but psychologically, yeah, you see how exactly. we get hung up on that. And, and I think a lot of coaches sometimes, they get hung up. You know, heck, I, I even, you know, I feel like I know coaches who, they're like, well, you know, if you want to jump this bar, you got to be on this pole. You know? And it's like, well, yeah, maybe that one time, that's what got that combination. But I, I even tell athletes all the time, I go, listen, I've had kids go on smaller poles. I've had kids go grip down and PR. So don't get married to like this combination. You know what I mean? Like you, we're going to have to constantly adjust this and, and evolve it for the situation. Like we were talking about, um, you know, before the podcast, you know, 
in in the pole vault, a lot of times, you know, and, and maybe you could speak of this in, in football terms, but like, you know, people look at gripping down as a failure. Yeah. You know, it's like if you were lifting weights and you were, we were benching and I say, hey, you got to go ten, down 10 pounds. You'd be upset. You're like, why do I have to go down weight? And so I get it. Like everybody sees gripping down as, as a failure. But if gripping down is going to get you to clear the bar, who cares? You know, we can talk about after the meet how to get that grip back up and what do we need to do. Maybe it's more physical training. Maybe it's something technical. You know, maybe it was even something mental. But, you know, we we can talk about it afterwards. But right now we're trying to get over the bar. So if we can grip down and clear the bar, let's do it. And I think sometimes people get hung up on things that are perceived as failures. So going back to even play selection, you have that play that this is our bread and butter. We got to win with this play. Yeah, but if we can do this play and still win... Yeah. And a perfect analogy it would be in professional football, teams that are doing more of the up-tempo, mm-hmm. getting up to the line of scrimmage. And, and is that something that's sustainable that you'd want to do the entire game? Probably not at the professional level. But right. is it a valuable you know, way to augment you know, another weapon for you to have offensively? Absolutely. Sure. Create yeah. more problems for the defense. Some of those run-pass options, some of those things that, you know, I don't want to necessarily say it's looked at as – Failure, but maybe it is because some of the old school, some of the old guard NFL coaches would be yeah. like, ah, this, that's some of that college stuff. You can't yeah. be doing that. But, you know, why not just supplement who you right. are? Because mm-hmm. ultimately, all that matters is getting the football in the end zone. Just the way all that matters is the vault or getting yeah. over the bar. Yeah. And if we get there, we do it legally. We're not cheating. We're not, you know, playing with 12 men or, right. or you know, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> right. but if it's legal, it's within yeah. the rules. Then guess what? We adapted. We found a way. That's coaching. That's trying to find a way to get the most out of your players with what you have. Right. Right. That's coaching, and that's uh, you know that's yeah. Hats and, off. Well, you know, and I guess you know this is maybe even a, a good way to kind of end this conversation because I, I think what we're getting at is you have to be flexible. Absolutely. You know, like I even I got into a little bit of an argument and discussion with someone on on Instagram about you know they're like, well, you have to grip near the top of the pole because that's the sweet spot. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I think if we look at the data, we'll find that it, I don't think it shakes out that way. But regardless, even if it is, if you don't have a kid that could grip near the top of the pole, you've got to be flexible and grip them where they can have success. You know what I mean? I'd rather have a kid grip underneath the sweet spot and clear a bar than try to grip the sweet spot and get stood up three times. And so it's like, you know, yeah, maybe you don't want to do the run option that often. It's not really your bread and butter, but. Maybe today on this play, this is what gets you to win. I mean, how, how about even, you know, again, I don't want to use the term gimmicky like you said, but, you know, how often do you do, you know, a halfback pass? You know what I mean? Halfback option. People have done stuff like that, and that's one games. You know, in that moment, it yes. works, you, you know? And so it's like you have to be flexible as a coach and don't. Don't become so stubborn that it's like you will only do X, you know? Absolutely. I think that flexibility is so, so huge. And I think sometimes – and this is how I view, you know, the vault. I think the vault ends up being a situation where a lot of people are volunteer coaches, you know, and, and that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I think I, I give a lot of credit. I was a volunteer coach mm-hmm. for a long time, you know. Um, but sometimes even people who are volunteers or they're only doing it uh, in a very passionate way, it's not a lot of money involved, they're like, well, I only want to do it if I have this, right? Like, I only, I only want to do it if I have this guy jumping or this girl jumping or at this level, you know, whereas 
when you're doing something actually professionally, you know, it's, it's your livelihood. You learn that you have to become flexible. You have to, you know, if you went to Denver and you're like, wow, I don't run this offense, so we're not doing this. They wouldn't have hired you. They would hire somebody else. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you have to become flexible and you have to open your mind that, you know, depending on the scenario, Almost anything could be a solution. It just depends on where you're at. Absolutely. And you know? I would just, uh, and with one of my favorite quotations, you mm-hmm. know, I'm huge into martial arts um, mm-hmm. yep. and the combatives, boxing. I, some of my earliest memories was watching some of the old fights. You know, I, I grew up as a kid was the, the golden era, you know, with Ali, mm-hmm. Frazier, Norman. Yeah. And uh, after our first Super Bowl, I started training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu mm-hmm. and just was drawn to the to the to the origins of that being a samurai art, of course. Yeah. Obviously, the, the the Gracie family kind of taking that. In yeah, direction. yeah, yeah. And it's a great outlet. Yeah, and we and we've had conversations yeah, about John Donner, John Donner, yeah. and that was a great podcast he had with with Joe Rogan. The thing that I two things. It's great to be a student to kind of train because it gives me the perspective as a coach, right? Of what, what it's like, you know, what the athlete's through. going through, yeah. and I never want to lose that. And I can suck at something, and it's bad. And I, I, there's times I'm like, man, I need to coach the way this guy was coaching. If, <laughs> yeah, if I yeah. had, if I had a player that was doing as bad as I'm doing, I'd be hitting him. Yeah, the, yeah. You know, but it's great to never lose sight of being nervous, being anxious, yeah. and having to be under stress and, and all that stuff. But what I want to leave you with is a quote that I think ties all this together from Miyamoto Musashi, okay. who was an ancient Japanese samurai. Mm-hmm. The Book of Five Rings would highly recommend Yes, it. yes, yes. Right. I've heard of it. Fixation is the way to death. Fluidity is the way to life. Yeah, that's that that that's huge. That's huge to quote, and it, it rings true. You know, I mean, Absolutely. you know, they, they talk about that with water. Yes. Still yes. water yes. is poison. Yes. You know, a stream. Yes, I love that. that. Yeah, yeah, you know. So, cool. awesome podcast. Thank I'm, you. I'm so Appreciate happy it. that you were able to do this. Awesome, um, you know, for everybody listening, I, I hope you enjoyed this. This is this was an awesome podcast. Um, again, we're on Instagram at the Real Apex Vaulting. You can check us out on Facebook. It's just Apex Vaulting. We're on Twitter and Snapchat, and uh, you know, you could all, always check out our website, apexvaulting.com. And uh, let's root for the Denver Broncos this year. Appreciate. I, it. I think Thank you're you. gonna have a big year, um, and uh, we'll see you guys next time.